Hello, and welcome to Produce Talks, the CPMA podcast. I am your host and CPMA Education Manager, Jason Gorley. Before we get started, I just want to remind you that you can subscribe to our podcast in a few different ways. Uh, Nobex, Blueberry, the iTunes Store, or the Google Play Store. You can find us there where Produce Talks, just click the subscribe button. I also want to remind you that right now, if you go to elearning.cpma.ca, that's elearning.cpma.ca, we are accepting registrations for our Produce Essentials course. You can go there and register. Now, before we get started, we do have Selena joining us to tell us all about this month's Fresh Health Award winner. Hi, Selena. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm here to tell you guys about the December Fresh Health Award. This time, it's going to Orange Lines Farms. Orange Line has put out a great challenge to their staff to fill half their plate, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, with fruits and veggies, and to show it off. They've also been using their Zing products to fill half their plate. It's a great way to promote your products and to promote half your plate. Congratulations, Orange Line. Thanks, Lena. All right. On this month's podcast, I am actually going to turn this into a two-parter, and I'm going to turn the microphone over to Ron Lemaire, president of CPMA. We're going to do the same thing that we did last year. We've invited members of the media that cover our industry to come and tell us about what they saw happening this year and what they see happening in 2017. So, we are joined by... Karen Davidson, editor of The Grower. Megan Cashti, online editor with Canadian Grocer Magazine. This is Greg Johnson, editor of the Packer newspaper based in the U.S. covering North American industry. Marika Hennes, editor with Fresh Plaza, and I am based in the U.S. and focus on news for the U.S. and Canada. All right, and without another word, I will turn things over to Ron. All right, welcome everyone to the 2016 CPMA Year in Review podcast. With 2016 almost behind us, we wanted to once again use our December podcast to take the time to reflect on some of the events and trends that have been affecting the produce industry over the past year. This year, we are once again joined by some members of the media who covered our industry. The broad scope of what they see, hear, and report on gives them a unique perspective on the majority of topics affecting produce. Karen, let's start with you. You've identified a topic that is certainly a concern in many growing regions in Canada this summer. So I'll ask you probably the most important Canadian question of all time. How's the weather? Well, it's certainly looking like ice wine weather today, and uh, growers are certainly looking for the end of, of a very challenging year. Before we get to that New Year's toast, let's set the stage of what happened across the uh, the country. We had a very long and sustained drought in Ontario from uh, June right through to mid-August. Quebec wasn't as badly impacted, but what I'm told by, by growers in the Maritimes is that um, Nova Scotia had the driest summer in 70 years. But in the opposite side of the country, in western Canada, they had a very different year. In British Columbia, they had their earliest spring ever, which certainly brought forward their harvesting season, but their summer t- turned cool and very wet, which impacted uh, fruit quality in the Fraser Valley. So all of that uh, really tells us that there were uh, extremes of weather at play right across the country. Have you seen or have you uh, reported on any of the strategies that uh, growers are putting in place to mitigate some of the impacts of challenges within the season that they've experienced? That's a great question. The growers I've been talking to, especially in the last week, are saying, we're not going to go through another season like we did in, in 2016. And, for example, regions like the Niagara Peninsula have realized how vulnerable they are, especially in the tender fruit and the grape industries there. So they're going to be looking at 
at how do uh, they improve the entire water distribution network from Lake Ontario. And in some of the other meetings that I've been to in the last week, uh, the table talk is that some growers have already bought new irrigation rigs for 2017. Others are researching drip irrigation. Really, right across the country, I'm hearing broad acknowledgement that climate change, less predictable weather patterns, that is, is really leading to a change in major input. So I'm seeing a lot more investment in protecting against frost, whether that's in row covers or wind machines. I'm seeing a lot more investment in precise irrigation, and I'm seeing more investment in crop protection against invasive species. What we tend to forget uh, with climate change is that we're getting more invasive species like Japanese beetle working, working against us in uh, orchards and fields. Can anyone perhaps give an example of how growers in other regions are trying to minimize the impacts on their operations that are happening potentially due to climate change and or just significant seasonal changes uh, that they're experiencing? Yeah, this is Marika. Being based in California, uh, we've been living the drought for a number of years. And uh, what we're seeing, to Karen's point, is that growers in the past couple of years have increasingly uh, shifted to drip irrigation. Um, in the past, there was still a lot of flood irrigation, but we definitely see that uh, decre decreasing and uh, drip irrigation is becoming a lot more standard. And another thing that growers uh, have done here is they have switched in some cases from low-value crops to, to more high-value crops. So an example is the pomegranate industry, for instance. This past year, a lot of trees were pulled as uh, pomegranates didn't uh, generate the returns that growers were hoping for, and so they've replaced their trees with other high-value crops. This is Megan. I think it's worth talking a bit about some of the advances that have been made with vertical farming and how many retailers are now partnering with producers and many are sort of setting up greenhouses and growing things in, in store and just sort of, it's not necessarily a means of bypassing climate change per se, but by setting up sort of more greenhouses and establishing more uh, high-tech vertical farming initiatives, they're able to not only cater to sort of consumers who are looking for a more local offer but also able to sort of grow things in a more controlled setting. Totally agree. It's really a full supply chain discussion, isn't it? Not just the grower now is looking at how they can uh, ensure providing quality year-round supply and trying to address the issue of weather and the issue of variability that they have to deal with. It's Karen speaking. I'd just like to add another uh, comment that I think internationally Canada is perceived as the land of abundant fresh water, but increasingly I think we're really seeing a lot more regional pressures in terms of how much water is used for agriculture. What I've learned is that British Columbia brought in its Water Sustainability Act in February of 2016. And that legislation requires growers to register their wells and to seek licenses for surface water use. And I think that is a sign of, of more regulation to come uh, right across the country as it pertains to water stewardship. I'm, I'm hearing about more regulation in Canada, but in the U.S. I think we're going to see the exact opposite of that. You know, growers both in produce and across ag have been very upset by a lot of the regulation, the waters of the U.S. law and how it's been implemented the last few years. And perhaps our readers have heard about an election in the U.S. this November that's, uh, that most of ag who I talk to, both in the produce industry and the owner of the packer is Farm Journal. And so we have a lot of publications that cover a broad spectrum of agriculture. And they're all really looking forward to less regulation when it comes to the way farmers produce their crops. So 
we're going to see quite the opposite, I think, in the next few years here. We're seeing at the uh, primary production level and with the farmer that reduced inputs and efficiencies on the farm, it's not only a, a driven factor by climate change, but the component is really driven also by good business. I'd like to talk a little bit about a controversial subject, genetically modified foods. I'm not sure if there are any countries in the world right now that are not discussing this topic. And for the most part, produce has not been impacted. As much of the GMO crops are destined for further processing. But this year we saw some interesting developments, didn't we? Yeah, I think you make a really good point that it certainly has been one of the more contentious issues of the year. And I think it would probably be, be easy to devote an entire podcast to, to GMOs on their own. But I think the, the events that I thought would be a bit more relevant to this discussion were the approval of a, a few varieties of genetically modified potatoes in the past year. So in March, Health Canada and CFIA approved the sale of a non-browning potato, which I think has already been available in the U.S. for a few years now. And then uh, just last month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture approved uh, commercial planting for two types of potatoes that are genetically engineered to resist the pathogen that caused the Irish potato famine. So a lot of um, really interesting advances in, in that kind of technology. So I feel like these approvals of these potatoes, alongside with headlines made last year about the um, approval of the sale of a, a non-browning apple that was created in BC and sort of talks of the first GM salmon being available this year indicates to me that while shoppers may not be 100% ready to accept GM food, the atmosphere seems a lot more conducive to having um, a more rational discussion about its potential. I think it's sort of worth noting that a lot of um, shoppers who are maybe opposed to GM foods sort of label them as being Franken food or uh, sort of more mutations. But if you look at some of the innovations that are being made with these potatoes, for example, it's really to combat major problems in the food chain, like helping to combat food waste or helping to overcome obstacles associated with climate change and disease. Using these potatoes as an example, some were developed to be resistant to blight. Uh, cutting down on the need to apply pesticides to the fields. So I think that if you look at the stories from this past year, you're seeing a lot more innovation in terms of GM foods that are really looking to be used for the greater good. And I think if you look in the upcoming year, it's going to be a lot about uh, the labeling of these foods and really seeing if once they're more widely available in stores, if it's something shoppers are going to really gravitate towards. And I am briefly interrupting this podcast to check in with our sponsor, Nature Fresh Farms. And on the line from Nature Fresh, we have Chris, who is going to tell us all about how Nature Fresh looks at value-added product from their end. I think the consumer necessarily sees value-added the opportunity to connect directly with the product. We've had experience with that uh, over the last last year with our, our Tom Box and Tom Bar program. We have a variety of, of Tom Bars that are in lot of locations throughout the GTA. And it's about self-serve. And value-added can be seen as self-serve, where consumers have the ability to hand-pick what they want. And the Tom Bar is, gives the opportunity for consumers to pick up to 13 different varieties of snacking tomatoes that are grown by Nature Fresh in, uh, in Leamington. So value-added value opportunity here is for that consumer to pick, for example, they only want a handful of red cherries and, and yellow grapes and some purple, uh, purple stripy cocktails. For, as, an, as an example, that value-added opportunity allows them really to to reduce food waste, pick and pack only what they want, 
at the same time ensure what they're picking is exactly what they want. Whereas in other programs, you know, the, the, the quick check, top bombs side to side, see if there's no uh, poppers inside and everything is good to go and take the cram because you can't pick and choose what you want. So this, this opportunity to hand pick your tomatoes is, uh, is taking, we believe, to, taking the retailer to a new level in, uh, in the selection process. And now back to the podcast. We are doing a recap of 2016 with members of the Produce Media in a conversation with Ron Lemaire, our president of CPMA. How do you see companies educating and marketing to consumers about their GMO products? I think that's a great question because I think education is so important when it comes to this issue. I was reading a report in Health Canada that said that uh, 62% of Canadians would buy a non-GM food over a GM product because they have fears of health hazards or impacts. But that same report also said that a lot of Canadians do lack awareness and understanding of the effects of, of these foods. So that really puts the onus on manufacturers and retailers to really educate their shoppers about sort of what they're doing. And you're seeing that being done in a lot of different ways. I know that a few independents here in Toronto actually do, they they post information on their websites, but they'll also hold seminars that probably range from 30 to 45 minutes to discuss sort of what research is finding and what the effects will be. And then also some uh, retailers are are very just uh, upfront about sort of what they're able to have in their stores. I know that Whole Foods explains on their website that 88% of the corn grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and it's just about being upfront. And if you're able to educate consumers either sort of on your website or right on the shelves, then that's sort of the first step, just making sure that that information is readily available. By 2050, we anticipate the global population to be uh, just over 9 billion people, and Currently, we're just under 8 billion. Feeding uh, another billion uh, individuals around the world, especially where we're also seeing an urbanization happening on a global level. Is biotech and GMO a solution? It's Karen speaking from the grower. There will be more adoption of genetically modified foods in the future. The science has improved in terms of gene editing so that they're not necessarily taking the genes from, from other species. They can actually do that within, well, for example, in, in potatoes. They're, they're actually just taking um, uh, genes from, from other potatoes, so it's within species. Uh, but if I could just expand a bit more broadly, in China, I know that one of the untold stories is how there has been a huge amount of research done in potatoes, and that I'm not, I'm not sure it's a genetically modified work, but um, I know that there's been a lot of work done to increase production and, and to help feed the population in China. Another point I'd like to make is when we talk about GM potatoes in North America, my understanding is that these new potatoes are going into industrial processes that we won't necessarily see an innate potato on consumer shelves. But I think that the real positives are, are going to be found, uh, of the non-browning potato are going to be found uh, on the processing side. Yeah, of course we followed the, the potato and the, and the, the apple that, that have non-browning. Um, I think I think one of the most important things for the produce industry is getting the information out to consumers. And there's a natural skepticism by consumers when you hear from big business saying something's good or bad for you. So I, I don't think that's necessarily the way to go. But so many retailers, for instance, are starting to either hire or contract with the dietitian community. And everyone in the nutrition community, including dietitians, sees the same science, and they will say that GM food is completely safe. 
And so now we have the scientific community and the, the nutrition community both saying it's completely safe. And I think like those are the sorts of things that will help convince consumers that this is something that should be acceptable. It's a, the advocates can really work toward the benefit of an industry trying to get a message like this across. What are your opinions on the attributes of, of using this technology actually as an environmental enabler, a tool that can actually help support, of course, increased crop production, but at the same time, uh, more effective use of land? Is there any comments or thoughts on that? I think that goes back to what you, you were asking before, sort of asking if biotech is is the solution. Um, I don't think it is the, but it, it might be a solution. And I think it, when it comes to those kinds of obstacles that growers need to face, it's certainly something worth exploring. And I'm, I'm sort of, I can't predict the future to see sort of like what, what will come of that. But I think if you're looking at the headlines that were made this past year or even in the past five years, there have been so many leaps and bounds made. I think that's only going to gain momentum, and I don't think there's any harm in, in trying new things and, and seeing if something works. It's Karen from The Grower. I was uh, reporting uh, 20 years ago on the, the launch of Nature Mark potatoes in Canada where the headline was very much about the environmental benefits of the Nature Mark potato, not having to spray potatoes. Uh, with so many fungicides. But for whatever reason, that message did not resonate. So I don't know if if that message is going to resonate 20 years later or not. I just make the point that I, I've seen that messaging in the past, and surprisingly, it didn't seem to have much traction then, and I'm not sure it will now. I, it sounds like we're talking about a public trust component around biotech. And if you look at the three pillars of public trust. You have doing the right thing on the on the uh, part of industry. The second pillar of the appropriate regulatory and uh, assurance systems that are in place from a, a public level, a government level. And then the third p pillar being effectively communicating. If you were to look at those three pillars, do you think our industry is hitting the mark on all three? Well, this is Greg. I, I would throw in a different pillar, and that is the consumer perspective. The consumer is always saying, what's in it for me? And if the industry keeps talking about how it's going to improve yield, that's not, that doesn't mean anything to a consumer. If you start talking about, hey, when you cut your apples, they won't go brown. Your, your potatoes are going to be healthier for you. They'll, they'll last longer. We can use fewer pesticides in the field because we have this GM product, which means there's less pesticide on your food to wash off and it will be healthier for your family. Those are, I think, going to be the messages that are going to resonate. Let's continue on and I'll ask a question directly to you on the topic of the value-added products area in retail. I think we can all agree that this is something that is becoming a large part of the produce department. And just trying to understand, Greg, how essential is value-added to produce and where do you see it going? Well, thanks for the question. Um, Value-added is, is so interesting to the packer and as we cover the industry because, unfortunately, we've not seen much consumption growth of produce overall in the U.S. I can't speak to the Canadian figures, but I would assume they wouldn't be too far off. But in the past couple years, sales have been growing faster than, than inflation. So how, is, how are sales going up at retail but consumption is not going up? So there's, there's two main reasons that the industry has identified. One is organic, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about that today specifically, but the other one is value-added. And when you're talking about value-added, we're talking about products that are fresh-cut or packaged differently, 
and and do something for the consumer to cut out a step in preparation or just uh, getting it ready to eat. And so, uh, you know, the Packard does a couple of different studies throughout the year, um, one of which is a packaging study that we survey um, U.S. and Canadian retailers. And one of the interesting things we found was about 80% of retailers reported in the last 12 months that packaged produce has been up in their stores. And when we asked them why, the biggest group um, of 55% of them said convenience was the main factor for that. So <clears throat> looking at that and comparing it to our Fresh Trends survey, which we do every year, which surveys consumers, we asked them about packaged produce, and 84% said they bought packaged produce in the last year, but almost 50%, higher than any other, said they bought packaged produce because of value. So while retailers, I think, tend to think of value added as having fresh cut in the store, consumers also consider value added, like bags of stuff that, that are cheaper. Um, you know, when we're talking about all the, the clementines that have come into the market or even just bags of potatoes, that's value added to consumers, and I think retailers have to keep in mind that there's a high and low end to increasing sales of value added produce. In Canada, a similar trend as you mentioned in the U.S., where we're seeing a uh, flattening out of our consumption uh, on a national level of just under five servings a day, and that's been consistent for a few years. One of the biggest gaps we're seeing and challenges includes the issue of food skills and the lack of knowledge around how to prepare, store, handle their, uh, their fresh produce. Does value added play a role in supporting and addressing the food skills uh, issue? Oh, there's no question. That's that's one of the big reasons I think value added is taking off. Is consumers, you know, if we want to talk about a certain generation, the millennial generation that we're obsessed with, at least in the U.S., uh, you know, they may not have the kind of cooking skills, but they do recognize what food is healthy, and they they know that they need to have healthy food. And so any way that retailers, and this goes for food service too, is getting food to them in the way that they need to consume it will increase sales. And sales figures are proving that every time they measure them in the U.S. So, Greg, what were some of the innovative value-added products that you've seen over the past year? When we talk about the value side of it, uh, you know, avocados are are increasing in consumption like crazy. And I think retailers are starting to see that, they can sell a lot more of them when they put them in bags, and the same is the case for clementines. On the higher end, um, you know, bag salads have been around for more than 20 years, but I think one of the things we're starting to see is some, some of the higher end, like chopped versions, which include different kinds of vegetables and salads, and uh, there's a huge increase in organic salads, fresh-cut salads. A couple of the really cool products we've seen starting to take off in the produce market is uh, – Vegetable crumbles, cauliflower is one in particular. That's just something that's really difficult to do at home as a consumer. But if you can buy it that way, you can you can replace a lot of food with vegetables and not notice much of a difference. And along those lines, the vegetable noodles can replace a lot of carbs, and uh, people get the same eating experience but with a much healthier version. And that's it. That's all that we have done Produce Talks. I'd like to thank Marika Hemes from Fresh Plaza, Greg Johnson from The Packer, Megan Kashke from Canadian Grocer, Karen Davidson from The Grower, and you for listening. 
I'd also like to thank Selena for letting us know about this month's Fresh Health Award winner and Ron Lemaire for taking care of the conversation for us today. We do want to hear from you. You can email us by emailing podcast at cpma.ca. And what I really want to know is what do you think the big news story of 2016 was in the produce industry? You can get that to us at podcast at cpma.ca. All right. Until next time, make a healthy choice. Fill half your plate with fruits and veggies. You will now be disconnected by the moderator.